It is Jay Scott, and it is The Hook Rocks. Thanks again for stopping by and tuning in. We always do appreciate when you do. Don't forget to write us a review at the end of the episode. Let us know what you think and what you enjoyed about what we talked about. Uh, we are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, a great network of music-related podcasts, and the official podcast platform for the official Metallica podcast. So check that out and other <laughs> podcasts on the platform. You can Find them at PantheonPodcast.com, as well as on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pantheon Pods. And you can do the same with The Hook Rocks on all three of those platforms. Just search up The Hook Rocks. And don't forget to set your app for automatic download so you get the latest episodes right to your phone and you get to enjoy all the previous ones we've done. We just reviewed the classic live album at the Fillmore from the Almond Brothers Band. It was a great discussion with the Recividus, as you guys know him on Twitter. We also reviewed the shows of November with performances that I attended with Marvelous 3, Mammoth, WVH, Jared James Nichols, Pete's Diary, Dirty Honey, and Blackberry Smoke, one of the best live bands that's out there. And we also talked with Diamante, Don Dockin. He broke the news of the Netflix Dockin movie on our episode, so that was uh, great to talk with him. And some great new music spotlights, like... Green Lung, the great UK stoner band that just released an awesome album, as well as Rogue Royal and King Falcon. And don't forget our discussion with George Lynch and Tracy Guns talking about the passing of Eddie Van Halen on the third year anniversary of his death. We'd like to welcome in another return guest, one of my favorite bands that are out there that have been emerging over the last few years. And the band is Bourbon House. And I'd like to welcome back Lacey and Jason. What's going on? How are you guys? Hi Jay. Hi. We are we are good. How are you doing? Doing good. Just you know, on the back nine of 2023. So just <laughs> wrapping some things up, going to some shows, checking out some new music, and all is good. Yeah, great. You guys got a new song out, which is why you're here. Yeah. Uh wanted to talk with you about the the music. You guys got some news too in terms of Record record deal and and uh, Fret Bar Records, which you guys just recently signed with. But let's get into the new song mm-hmm. that is "Running Hot." Great tune, great track. And uh, how did this all come about? How what was the genesis of the song? Um, Jason wanted to write a song with "Hot" in the title. I think that that's where it all actually began. Well, we wrote the song before we had the title. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, we had the song all done and we spent probably another two weeks trying to figure out what to call it. Um, so we just wanted to write a, an upbeat song with a slide guitar and, uh, slide guitar is sort of one of our signature sounds. And aside from Devil on My Heels, we didn't really have a song that was, you know, based on slide mm-hmm. guitar with a slide riff, you know. Well, we had 20 to life, but it's not like a, like an upbeat fun. Like we wanted to do like something really um, fun and catchy with a slide. 
it's an amazing song in that you know you're both spotlighted i think kind of equally in the song with your vocals Lacey, and your guitar playing jason <laughs> you know and a lot of your songs are a little different this is kind of a unique song within your catalog because it kind of has a different way of presenting itself is that kind of what you wanted to accomplish yeah we're always trying to do something different but that also sounds like us and that will you know obviously resonate with our current fans and and new fans so um yeah i guess so we're we're always trying to do something different when you guys wrote this song, was it part of another session or was it kind of its own thing? Yeah, we have uh, 10 other songs. Well, no, nine. We have 10 songs in total um, recorded and and done. So this was one of them. This is the first single. So this is a kind of collection for an album. And this was kind of all written during the same session then. Yeah. Well, this was written in uh, two parts. So this was part of like a five song session. When you're writing music, you know, throughout the years, right? When you first started to now with this song, with these collection of songs that you're going to release here with an album, what has changed, if anything, about your approach? You know, like, what have you learned about your songwriting? What have you learned about yourselves if you guys kind of keep moving forward? Um, I think we've learned about the creative process a little bit. I think that's what artists really need to learn. I mean, in the beginning, you might be waiting for inspiration, or maybe you only sit down when you have an idea. Mm -hmm. But as you get into it, you realize that you should be able to sit down and write a song whenever you want. You know, I mean... uh, Paul McCartney and John Lennon would get together twice a week and every time, you know, every Tuesday and Thursday, they'd sit down and write a song together. Yeah. We don't do that. But when we are writing, it is like that. It's very much so like, let's write a song. Yeah. And, you know, it's not like it's perfect when it first comes out. Like, it's definitely, it changes a million times, you know, even post-studio sometimes we'll go in and, and change guitars on this or change this vocal part or whatever. But yeah, we do. We do it like that. We are very like um, scheduled. It's like going to the office, you know. Yeah. It's like okay, we're in. You know, we have studio time coming up. We need to have five songs ready. Let's write them. Um, let's mm-hmm. write them now. You know, and ten o'clock tomorrow morning, we're gonna get together and write a song. Yeah. So that's how it is. You know, um, it's not always something great, and it's not always something we keep. Mm-hmm. But at least some progress was made. At least you exercised your creative muscles, you know, and some of the time something good happens. Yeah. You know, that's the stuff you keep. I was just talking with Diamante about her process when she was with a label and they had her in between, rec- you know, records and albums write hundreds and hundreds of songs. And wow. then the A&R guy would come in and decide the 10 or try to find 10 songs that they liked. And sometimes they, you know, they would choose like six or something like that. And then you'd have to write four more. My question is, if you're writing that much, how do you know at, at some point, doesn't everything kind of merge together and kind of get lost in the hmm. the artistic journey? It kind of loses it they lose their identity at some point when you're writing that much absolutely i think that that's ridiculous what they what they made her do um because because of that that's that's would be so hard to do that and Mm -hmm. stay to not have all your songs sound the same and to not get completely overwhelmed (laughs) like that's insane well there's no sense of direction there yeah they're looking for quantity but they're not asking they're not you know i don't know i'm strongly opposed to that you know Mm -hmm. i've read about how led zeppelin wrote and recorded and the eagles and all these other bands they didn't write a thousand songs and keep five of them yeah ridiculous you know you know they they would if they needed like nine or ten songs for an album they might write 12 or 13 or 15 you know a little more than they needed 
you know, especially back then when you could only put 45 minutes on an album. So mm-hmm. there was a strict time limit as to what, you know, like the Rumors album by Fleetwood Mac, you know, they had to leave off Silver Springs, you know, and it ended up being one of their best songs. It wasn't released till later on, but they didn't write 30 or 40 songs or a hundred songs. It's just ridiculous. You know, you got to write down what, you know, we have nine songs we got to write. We're going to have a ballad. We're going to have a rocker. We're going to have a this and we're going to have a that. And uh, let's start working on those. Yeah. And that's all there is to it. You know, we keep over 90% of what we write. We don't have a bunch of stuff in the, in the vaults. Yeah. And we don't throw stuff in the garbage. It's just a waste of time. Mm-hmm. It's kind of funny you say that because I also recently spoke with John Nato at Dirty Honey and he kind of said something similar. He was talking about a band that he knew that had a hundred songs to go into the studio. And his opinion was, well, why do that? You know, why, why don't you just make 10 that are great? Exactly. And, you know, refine them and do what you need to do to make them great instead of taking a hundred songs in and kind of wasting all that time and wasting all Mm -hmm. that energy. For sure. Mm -hmm. Cause you're going to just over, overlook at everything. You know, if you're focusing on a hundred songs versus focusing on five or 10, you're going to kind of blast through and not put your effort into any of these songs to make them awesome. Make awesome songs instead. Yeah, you need to have um awareness, too, of what's good and what's not good. Because if you do throw 90 songs in the garbage, there are going to be some good lyrics in there. There's going to be some right. good riffs in there. There's going to be a lot of good ideas that you threw out. The song as a whole might be junk. That might very well be the case. But there's some good stuff in there that you're throwing away and you're not keeping it because it was part of a song that didn't develop right or whatever. But when you're writing a song, you need to realize, okay, this is a good riff. We should develop this. Or this is a chord progression that just sounds like a million other songs. There's nothing special about it. Let's not pursue that. Or if you have bad lyrics or something, you're like, okay, we need something that's a little more interesting than this. You know, you need to weed out. You need to keep the good stuff and throw out the bad. Yeah, 90% of it is bad. That's just the creative process. But you need to recognize what's good when you come mm-hmm. across it. Yeah. And don't per- don't go down all these dead ends. Well, it's just a confusing way of doing things. You know, when you do get signed to a major label, you know, you're, you're told how great and how awesome you are and they love your music and they love all the stuff about you. We're going to be partners. We're going to, you know, you're going to be a big star. We're going to do all these things. And then they send you in the studio and then they say, well, you, we don't like any of these songs. You need, we need to do 10 more songs. And then, well, we like these songs, but we want you to do a cover of this pop artist song because none mm-hmm. of the songs, you know, meet your, meet our algorithms and, and all this stuff. And it's like, well, wait, you just told me. Before I signed, yeah. you loved my music, and you loved what I was singing, and now that you don't, and that's what breeds like the insecurity in the industries because yeah. you feel like you've gotten somewhere and you're confident because you got the deal, only to be shattered and torn down because they want you to conform and sound like everybody else, yeah. and do these things that they want to do, and then you kind of get lost and you lost, you lose your your artistic integrity because you're trying to appease people that cannot be appeased. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It is a, it is a ugly, ugly cycle when you, when you get into that. Yeah. It's not. Um, So back to the, to the song. So you you wrote the music before you had the title. What came first, the lyrics or the music? The music, I believe on this one, the riff. Um, if the I'm music usually comes first because we know what kind of song we want to write. That's where it begins. Yeah. So on this one, it was, let's write a song that's based on a slide guitar. It's got a cool slide riff. It's upbeat and it's just a real you rocker. Know, just a straight just a rocker. So I start developing those ideas and we keep good ideas and throw out bad ones. And, mm-hmm. and then as I'm doing that, the lyrics just sort of come along and um and then just as a punctuation mark we're like okay now it needs a great title and that's usually mm-hmm. how it works you know for most of our songs the you know if we realize we have a 
a good song, we just think, well, now it needs a good title. Let's come up with a good title. And if, you might have to go back and change a few lyrics. He really did want a song with hot in it in the title. <laughs> yeah, well, I was listening to an old uh, American Top 40 with Casey Kasem, and uh, somebody wrote in and said, uh, how often, how many hit songs have, have the <laughs> word devil in it? And he said that usually if you put devil in a song title, it doesn't go anywhere. It yeah. <laughs> but the most common word that's found in hit songs is hot so now you know so there's hot blooded you know there's a million of them you know yeah teacher yeah. <laughs> he said for some reason if you put the word hot in a song people love it yeah <laughs> so, I, so i said okay we're gonna use the word hot in our next song did it yeah I, for one, was a was a big fan at the young age of nine and ten of the uh, the video for Hot for Teacher. So, yeah, <laughs> um, I had a, I actually had a teacher in junior high that looked exactly like the teacher in Hot for Teacher. That was uh, wow. yeah, that was not fair to all the to all the, the boys in, in those classes. <laughs> we were, it was it was a, it was a stacked deck against us. Yeah, so. When you're developing a song with the slide, Jason, how is your approach different when you're doing that? Because we just we just did a live album review of the Allman Brothers band at the Film Race, and I mean, slide guitar is like, yeah, I mean that's where it really was elevated with those with Dickie and Dwayne. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I. Use open G when I play with a slide. Um, at least in all of the songs that we've written and recorded. And I try to compass something that I haven't done before. I mean, when we were playing cover songs in bars, we were doing things like Dust My Broom and, you know, these old classic blues songs. A lot of them were Delta Blues with a slide riff, you know, and. So I try to come up with something kind of like that. Also, George Thorogood is a good guy to look to when you want inspiration because most of his songs are slide-based and he's a really good slide player. Um, yeah, I just try to come up with something cool, I guess. I mean, it doesn't always come easily. but Because mm-hmm. it's, it's not really easy to play. I mean, a lot of people assume that, you know, Playing the slide compensates for a deficiency in somewhere else, and it's not the case at all. It's a different approach and a different style, and it actually, in some ways, it can be more difficult to play with a slide. I, for me, I'm not a guitar player, but for me, it seems limiting. It seems like there's less things that you can do with a slide. So, being creative to come up with something unique using a slide is impressive to me. That's how it comes across anyway. I don't yeah, know if that's I mean, true or not. I <laughs> if you, it's kind of like harmonica, you know, like there's only so much you could do. Every, all of the notes are going to be in key because it's tuned to an open tuning. And the trick is to only play the strings that you want to play. You know, you're not always strumming all six strings at once just because it's a slide, you know, mm-hmm. so sometimes you are only playing one or two strings at a time or three you know and that's that's the tricky part so i mean i i started playing slide at the same as soon as i started learning guitar so it wasn't an afterthought um i just thought that i needed to be doing something more or something different than all these uh, all these other guys who were learning guitar at the same time as me it's got it's got a distinct sound which I really enjoy. I mean, when you hear a slide, it just makes your ears perk up a little bit because Mm -hmm. it's different than what your ears are trained to. And, you know, you do it very well. And when someone does it really well, it really, it's kind of a soothing thing in a song too, Mm -hmm. as well. It's a, it makes the sound of the song, I think more and more encompassing, even though it's a, a limiting factor in playing. Yes, Absolutely. Yeah, we use it in some other songs like Slow Burn, where there's kind of a real sad slide note in the background. 
Um, mm-hmm. So we use it in a moody way, but we also use it in kind of an aggressive, dirty way on some songs too. Mm-hmm. Depends on depends on the song. Yeah, I also, like the sound. <laughs> yeah, it also makes the the guitar kind of sing in a, in its own way. I mean, yeah. you know, when I think of slide, I think of Joe Walsh, and I mean, no one makes a guitar sing. I think, in my opinion, better than Joe Walsh. I mean, you can mm-hmm. harmonize the lyric around what he's playing; it sounds incredible. Yep. Yeah, and uh, you know, just seeing Charlie Starr at Blackberry Smoke last week. And, and he does it very well too. So I love the slide. I think it should be used more. Actually, <laughs> I think it's like yeah, I am pro did. slide. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely an old blues uh, technique. And uh, you can use it anywhere, though. You know, to make it. It's always going to sound kind of bluesy, I think. But I don't know. It's a. It's a very. It's a pleasing sound. Writing lyrics over that. How is that challenging for you, Lacey? Over slide? Yeah. Uh yeah. If if we were doing um slide in the in the verses or or a chorus or whatever, um which it is in the chorus at this one, but it's not in the verse. It it is more challenging, I find, to write over slide. And why I don't is- really know why. I think maybe it's uh maybe it's too competing. Um because because like you said, it's it's kind of singing, you know, itself. So it's, it's kind of too much. So he, when we write slide guitar songs, um, it's usually the riff. And then <clears throat> during the verse, um, they, we scale back on the slides so that we can get yeah. vocals in there. <laughs> yeah. I, it is challenging. I usually have like for the verse part, the guitar will usually step into the background and do something that's not, um, using the slide so i'll just use my fingers to play a basic yeah riff behind the vocal because i don't want the slide to clash with mm-hmm. the vocal as far as the vocal approach on the song i mean there's a lot of power there's a lot of you know kind of it seems like a different approach of, of more of an aggressive approach, which mm-hmm. you do a lot in, in your songs, but th- there's a lot of times where it's just bare. It's just you. And then the sure. music gets in. Was that something that when you started to hear the lick and the guitar and started to put the song together, was that something that you searched for? Or was it something that just happened as a result of what way the song was, was written? I would say it's something that just happened. Um, when, when I heard the riff and we really started to put the song together, I was like, immediately I was like, this is like aggressive sexiness. That's what I'm, that's what I'm hearing right now. Um, so yeah, that kind of just came out. The intro was something that we, I don't, we kind of decided when we were writing the song that we were like, this would be a good song to have just a raw vocal intro before, because that riff when it comes in will be super cool. Right. Um, and that intro, I just, that was, I, we were in the studio when I wrote that. It, obviously it's not like complicated or anything, but it was just like, okay, go no music. Just do an intro right now. Just sing at the top of your lungs. Go. <laughs> that's basically what happened. This is the first album that's going to be on a label for you guys. Um, yeah. you recently signed with Fret Bar Records, which seems like a new label that's out there, a new independent label. Mm-hmm. How was the process different working with a label instead of being independent? Or did you, were you still able to keep your, you know, your independence of, of, <laughs> of you know, it, within a label writing this music? Yeah, well, we're with a small label. So, mm-hmm. um, and I think that that's, if you're going to be with a label, I, I really think that that's the way to go. Um, so we do get to keep a lot of our, our, you know, our creativity and all of the, we have all of the say in, in that. So, um, that's well, nice. We wrote and recorded all of these songs before the label. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. true. We are already had them as well, but. but they are going to help us with, uh, the promotion. Mm-hmm. 
and distribution. All of, all of the other stuff that yeah, we all, used to do ourselves. All of the hard work that comes after the yeah. singles <laughs> and videos. Um, yeah, they yeah. can help us with all of that. So it's, um, it's definitely makes things less stressful and, mm-hmm. um, easier. Mm-hmm. There's that. And then there's also like, you know, we don't, uh, we have to kind of, use their timeline you know we have to kind of work on a timeline together whereas before we were just like okay we can do this now we can do this right now we can do this right now and um so we have to kind of slow down which i think is good probably for us um a little bit (laughs) just a little bit (laughs) well it's also got to help too that you know you you have some backing you know some support yeah Um, and you don't have to worry about like jason just said you know all the hard work that goes into after you make the music you know the distributing it Mm -hmm. you know coming up with all these things i mean i'm sure you still have somewhat of an input but someone's Mm -hmm. taking that over which helps you focus more on creating rather than the business side and you know that's a struggle that a lot of artists have is because they go into just wanting to create music and now they got to you know, do all these other things and run their social media. It Mm -hmm. becomes too much for a lot of artists. Yeah. To be fair, we're still doing a lot. We're doing a lot of stuff uh, on our own, which is, which is fine. Um, But yeah, it's all, it's overwhelming. And to have people behind you helping you is uh, necessary. It's really hard to do by yourself. Was it important for you guys? Like you said, you know, you you recommend doing a small label or an independent label. Was it important that, you know, we've talked about this before in previous interviews, is to still have what you want to hear is what goes on on the album, right? I mean, that's that's important for you guys to do that. Was that, is that a, a deal breaker, you know, with any type of label? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We need to have control over that. I wouldn't be able to. No, <laughs> I couldn't give that up. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. We definitely like to be in control of things. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's hard enough giving up only 10 or 20% of, of what's happening with the band. Um, yeah. I wouldn't want to give up more than that. That's for sure. Well, there has to be a, it has to be worth it, right? I mean, if you're going to make more money and they're going to help you get there and get more exposure, then it's well worth it. But I mean, I've heard stories about labels that don't do anything. They, they tell you they'll take care of it on the back end. And mm-hmm. you know, the only back end that is taken care of is you get chronic ass pain because of how much you're getting screwed. <laughs> you <know>? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of the things that, the, that we expect them to do, you know, a lot of the things that labels do are things that nobody sees. So yeah. you don't even really know if they're doing it. Right. You know, contacting um, DJs and podcasters and mm-hmm. um, magazines, you know, they should be trying to get you into magazines, get you exposure, get you publicity. You don't know if they're doing that or not. Yeah. I, mean, I know I'm not in Rolling Stone magazine this month <laughs> so i know you didn't do that right and that's okay but what did you do what did you get us yeah. into you know mm. or you know what interviews are we going to do this month none mm. that i know of you know what i mean mm. so like you don't really know how hard they're trying or what they're doing or who they're contacting or what correspondences are happening or yeah you so you got to kind of be on them communication is very important I mean, we don't have any issues with um, Fretbar right now. They're doing great. So I'm just saying. Yeah, we've worked with other people. We've worked with other people who said they were doing things. And we found out later that they weren't doing anything. um, Jimmy is doing a great job for us right now. So we're happy about that. Yeah, I mean, that's important, you know, to, to have that relationship with talking with a lot of artists because of this podcast, I do hear one of the common things about a label or about a management team is they may do great for someone else, but it doesn't mean they're going to do great for you. And 
The other thing is that I've heard and realized is you can't do the same thing for each band. You know, each band has their own needs. Each band has their own identity. Mm-hmm. And you cater your management style or your PR style or your label to adhere to that identity. Yeah. If you're just trying to put someone in a box in the same old box. Some may do well in that box. Others may need a different one, may need a, you know, a longer box, a bigger box, a smaller box, whatever it is. Um, so that's always, you know, really important. And then also just to have a team that genuinely wants you to succeed. Mm-hmm. That doesn't just look at you as a, a number. Yeah. You know, they want to support you. They want to do things. They have a vested interest in wanting you to succeed, not just the 10 and 20%, but just mm-hmm. reputation. You know, their their reputation. I mean, you know, I mean, if, if they catapult Bourbon House or some other artist on their label and they can say, hey, you know, we did this and this is how we do it, mm-hmm. present that to you. And some of that you can take it and some of that you can leave it, but it's important for you to for you to have it. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. That's why I think it's more important to be or more beneficial, uh, especially for a, you know, a smaller band kind of on the rise to be with a boutique um label because if you don't they only have like i think fret bar has only five or six maybe um Mm -hmm. artists right now um brand new you know so you can get that individual attention and make sure that they're you know working for you and you're working together and a big label i don't know i don't know how that works (laughs) yeah i mean a big label might uh, sign a lot of bands, but they're really only putting their resources into the, the ones the that they know ones. are going to go somewhere. And then the smaller ones kind of have to make their own way and prove themselves before, you know, yeah. before the label puts a whole lot of backing behind them. Yeah. Well, the big labels talk to you about algorithms. And yeah. If you're ever in a meeting with a label and they start talking to you about your music hitting algorithms, it's time to get up and walk out. Right. At points, right. You know, because they're not interested in the music. They're interested in, in a program, basically. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, over manipulating the music. As far as you guys go, we've had a lot of conversations on the show. You know, when I see you guys at, at shows and, and we talk afterwards, it, it finally feels like, there's movement forward with you guys, right? Yeah. And I know being independent prior to this and, and being an emerging band, you know, life can get frustrating because you're like, man, is it like, it just doesn't seem kind of like spinning our wheels, but you mm-hmm. know, having, you know, the last conversation we had, I think it was either um, the last show or two shows before, you know, there's a lot more going on with you guys. There's a lot more things yeah. happening, which is good. Can you, what are some of those things that are, that are taking place outside of, you know, the record deal? Um, well, we have things going on uh, probably starting in January. We're, we're looking at next year, but um, touring is going to be more of a thing for us, which is um, something that we've really struggled with. We've, you know, with having um, good agents, um having even good rhythm infection you know um people who are not gonna just like i'm not coming on the tour uh the day before you know just bullshit like that um we do have the label has a lot of representation um in places that we've never been um so like europe is is a thing on the horizon uh canada mexico all of the all of the stuff. So that's all exciting. Yeah, Europe is a is a great market for rock bands, young rock bands too. It's not just the legacy artists that really do well there. I mean Yeah. See so many artists. I mean, the Cold Stairs has really built up a nice um following like in in uh, Belgium, in Austria, and yeah. in, in places like that. And I know I just saw Jack's Hollow was like in Switzerland and Germany. Yeah. In places like that. So there's still, it's so funny how like different countries have a different viewpoint of music 
rock and roll rock music for for most european countries and, and even in the uk is still very viable and people still go see it go see original music yeah i we've heard that from from everybody we've talked to that that has gone over there there's like they just like appreciate music more i don't i don't know what it is but um so we're really excited we actually we just played a show with uh, jared james nichols um we did just an acoustic set uh before his before his set but anyway he just came back from from europe he was in spain for a bit and he was just like you gotta go <laughs> like you gotta go you gotta do it so um it's reassuring when you hear other other artists talking about how much fun they had and how you gotta do it well i was talking about spain with got yeah, one of my first in probably i think my first interview was with carl spackler carl spackler from Lachinga way back 2019 i think it was and way well, i say way back it's only a few years ago but um he was talking about spain and he was talking yeah. about the promoters how like you're treated so well there you're um it's you know the crowds are great and mm-hmm. you know it as much as you know there's there's a lot of music fans here in america there's going to be a reckoning for rock fans over the next five years when these legacy bands are no longer touring yeah. And, you know, there, and, and what you see now. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report. And you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. I may get in trouble for saying this, but... After the grunge era, there was a period of rock music that was very cookie cutterish. That was very, like, you know, like just bland with no depth. And we can all we know the bands from that era. I'm not going to mention them, but there's like an it's attempt- called butt rock. Yeah, it's, called, it's, butt still, rock. it's, it's still, called butt rock. It's a it's a genre. And it's still butt rock. Butt rock. <laughs> I've never heard that. Yeah. Why is it yeah. called butt rock? I don't know. He does. Do you know? I don't know. It's just butt. <laughs> it's just, you know, the cookie cutter radio stuff that came around 97 and it's still, the, there's still, it's there's still, still being promoted. Around. It's still the main thing that you get at all the festivals. It's, you know, these guys are 50 years old now and they're all just, they're still just headlining all the festivals. It's just, <laughs> we may get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's just the way well, it is. You know, you might see dirty honey and microscopic print at the bottom of the yeah. poster. Well, they're doing better now, but yeah. But you know, <laughs> it's still the same bands up at the top, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, the bands from that period, you know, some of them are bigger than others. Um, but there, there's an attempt now to take these bands that have maybe one hit song or two and make them into a arena band. Yeah, what? That's what They're I'm trying to do about. that. And yeah. my theory is, or not my theory, but my my opinion is, instead of wasting your time with these bands that are going to half fill an arena, you know, yeah. it's going to be 50 to 60% full, why don't you take your money and invest in the new bands that are out there, the right yeah. that are like doing something that is familiar but different at the same time. You, yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's instead of putting these cookie cutter, you know, bland products and, and, and everything out there that everything sounds the same. I mean, that's yeah. when I really, I mean, I was always a rock fan, but that was the really the period that I kind of left. I was like, this is not a lot of people for. did. Yeah. yeah. And I got into like the singer songwriters, like the Pete Yorns and the Butch sure. Walkers and the Ryan Adams. And there was a band out of Memphis called Lucero, which is a great band. And I really went in that direction. And then I didn't come back until this new wave of rock started to happen because mm-hmm. I found it interesting. It, it moved me. It, it was something that I really enjoyed. So instead of trying to, you know, refurbish or reintroduce mm-hmm. these bands that, you know, maybe there's only two members in the songs were decent at best. I mean, there's yeah. so much talent in the new wave of rock music. I, I would just assume just go with that and just start promoting mm-hmm. that stuff. I think it's what more work. <laughs> yeah. I think it's more work. It's more of a risk. You know, that's, I think that's all it is really. Yeah. I think a large part of the industry sees that era as the final era of rock too, you know, because like you, the rock is you got your eighties bands and then there was the grunge bands and alternative bands of the early nineties. And then when, and then after that, there was the post grunge, you know, bands mm-hmm. like Godsmack and Papa Roach and all that. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the industry sees that generation of rock as the final yeah. generation. There is nothing after that. Yeah. That's how they see it, you know. So these newer bands that are um, coming along, like Greta Van Fleet, Dirty Honey, they just kind of ignore them and just overlook them and say, well, whatever, that music isn't relevant anymore. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you mentioned the new wave of classic rock. Well, they just don't see that or recognize it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just too underground to be worth anything mm-hmm. in, in their opinion. I mean, it exists, but there's always underground music that exists. It's yeah. just not, you know, they can't sell a thousand tickets. You know, these bands from the late nineties can still sell a thousand tickets. And that's why, you know, you might as well put them in a theater or an arena that's half full. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, you got to thank the bands like like Red Van Fleet and Dirty Honey for you know breaking through, um, mm-hmm. because hopefully that can help us all of us down here, you know. So yeah, they're at least sort of forging a path them <laughs> and drawing attention to all of the other bands that are mm-hmm. still making rock music. Yeah, yeah, and I just think that. I know sometimes it feels like it's not moving forward, but I think it is. And I think it's, it's mm-hmm. a slow moving ship, definitely. Mm-hmm. But I think people are getting tired of the overproduced, over manipulated, over compressed music because we still connect with those great bands from the sixties and seventies and the, in, yeah. in the, those eras that came before us. And there's a reason why. There's a reason why it's not just by accident. It's not just by because there's nothing else to listen to. There's a reason why people still listen to the Stones and Zeppelin and all that stuff because yeah. DC because it wasn't over manipulated. It was it was natural. It was authentic. It was real, and all that stuff that came before, which is what makes the industry what it is now. You can't argue that all those bands made the industry what it is now. It's like the industry itself doesn't realize that or doesn't want to admit that yeah you know and it's, it's kind weird of, those are still like the top listened to bands like they're still doing the best so like why right. can't you just look at that and be like 
yeah, why, why can't you just realize what's going on here? Well, or or realize why people connect with it. Because yeah. because it it's authentic and it and you know a guitar riff can move you, a lyric can move move you. No one wants to hear a drum that sounds like it was sounds like a drumstick hitting a, a couch cushion, you know? Uh, I hate I hate those drums. <laughs> yeah, so, everything's over compressed. And you know, in the nineties all of a sudden the click came along, so everybody's playing with click and and then Pro Tools came along and then pitch correction came along in ninety seven and by by the year 2000, everything was overcorrected, overcompressed, mm-hmm. just overcomputerized, recorded on Pro Tools. Before the 90s, none of that was true. Yeah. When you listened to a recording, you were hearing a band playing in a room. But starting in the 90s, that stopped being true. And it's, you know, now all you're hearing is the computer is replaying what you recorded and put into the computer. Yeah. It changes everything, makes it perfect, and, you know, makes it the way the industry wants it to be. I mean, there aren't many engineers just trying to record the band playing the song anymore. That's what they initially do, but then they change it. Yeah. They change every single aspect of it so that it doesn't sound like a band playing in a room anymore. I think that still exists. I mean, like you said, Jason, it's less and less, but I always appreciate when you can sonically hear the room. Yeah. You know, that's, that's important for me when I'm listening to the music. I want to hear the room. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I think that's an important piece of rock music. Um, yeah. You know, you don't want to sound like it's been filtered through a couple of different programs and, and manipulated. And, you know, I had someone ask me, well, how do you know if something's auto tuned? And I'd say, well, you ever see Star Wars? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, well, it sounds like a droid when someone's singing. It doesn't sound <laughs> real. There's no emotion yeah. to it. It's flat. And it's, yeah. it sounds ridiculous. Can you hear this person breathing? There's no <laughs> breath also. They just don't breathe when they sing, I guess. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah everything is auto-tuned. The bass guitar, all of the guitars, all of the vocals, yeah. everything is auto-tuned. It's, I mean, it's not auto-tuned in like a, you know, like a, like a share kind of way. <laughs> like the way Cher and Kanye use it as a, as a, an effect. It's just corrected it's just so much. Made perfect so that you think that they're singing that perfectly, mm-hmm. but no, no human does. Mm-hmm. The problem is, especially with vocals, it changes the tone of your voice. Mm-hmm. So if you sing with a certain tone and, you know, you're trying to convey this kind of emotion with whatever tone you're using, um, that can be altered in a way that it doesn't, now it doesn't have that impact anymore, you know, so. Yeah, it seems like it doesn't really, doesn't really get down into your soul the way the older music does. Mm-hmm. It just It doesn't connect with the human spirit as yeah. much when it's been manipulated by computers. I also think the the musician or the artist relies on that to correct it. So they don't have to be masters of their craft anymore. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. And that's that's frustrating because I want to hear, I think, especially with younger generations now, they're so conditioned with everything sounding perfect that they want to hear that perfection in a live performance. Yeah. And the way our generations look at it is, I want to hear the imperfections. I want to hear the mistakes in a live performance because that tells me there's soul and there's feel to it, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I want to be moved that way. I mean, I love the studio stuff too, but I want to hear, you know, a, a, a missed note or I want to hear a, a yeah. different approach to the solo or, or or whatever it is. And and then you become a slave to appeasing that audience that wants perfection mm-hmm. you know, because you feel like they're going to not like it because everyone's got a phone these days and can record you and this doesn't sound anything like the album. Well, it's not supposed to. Right. Supposed to. And yes, there are bands that do that sound great. I just saw Blackberry Smoke, like I mentioned before, they sound awesome. Nothing of their, what they do is track. That's just those guys sitting in a garage in a studio space, rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing till it's, till it's perfect. Yeah. So, and they still have an identity too, when they perform live, they don't lose that identity with their perfection. They just, they just do it. But yeah. 
you just hear, you know, you see tracks, you see bands canceling shows because their laptop got lost. And they can say, well, we just want to put on the best show for the people. But that just tells me that you rely on it. You don't know your instrument. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's very common, though. Almost everybody uses tracks to some degree. I mean, even Aerosmith, Van Halen. Yeah. You know, yeah. Because. But they could still do I mean, the show without it. It would just sound That's totally different. I mean, if you watch the song remains the same, the Led Zeppelin movie, there's not seven guitars in the songs. There's mm-hmm. only one. Right. And all of the overdubbing they did in the studio can't do it live you know you got four guys playing four instruments there's not 12 or 15 mm-hmm. instruments like on the studio recordings so you have to accept that the live sound is going to be very different yeah you have to learn to appreciate that though you know and i think i think that the people who go out to see concerts i think that they do i think they understand that you know so well, when you I'm talk about Strong Remains the Same, you got John Paul Jones playing the organ and using bass pedals, right? So he's playing mm-hmm. two instruments at once. And then the reason why Paige played the double neck was because of Stairway to Heaven and being able to have both those elements in the song. So they knew that they had to have something that had some context to, to or you know, fill the context of what they recorded. And even though it didn't sound the same, there was an attempt to make it the same even though they it was impossible to match it but that's fine that's great that's awesome that's like that's that's what i want to hear yes but right i think now people think oh that's too much i can't learn i can't learn a double like when's the last time you saw a double neck on stage <laughs> yeah much. as far as the new music goes you know with the song running hot what does the next group of songs what is this next album say about you guys in terms of from the last album, the fourth album? Um, I, I would say that compared to the last album, I think our last album was probably our bluesiest. The fourth album, I would say that this is more rock and roll. This one, this, this new batch of songs, mm-hmm. a little bit Southern, we got some Southern rock vibes going on in there as well. Um, that's what I would say about it. Yeah. Let's new batch of songs. Yeah, it's got some pretty hard rockers on it. Yeah. For sure. I think there's like five heavy, hard, upbeat songs, at least five or six of them. And then there's a few experimental songs that mm-hmm. are experimental in ways that we haven't experimented before (laughs) we do have like a long ballad but it's not like the other ballads we've recorded it's very balls out i that vocally the the batch of songs are it's balls out and then we have like a weird um spacey sort of song that we've never done before so we have a new instrument too Mm -hmm. on this on this album can you can you divulge what instrument that is? I can tell you what it is. We have a cello. Nice. Yeah. And two songs. On two songs. And uh, yeah, this girl is awesome. Her name is Lynn, right? I can't remember her last name right now. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, she plays for the Milwaukee uh, Orchestra. So she's top notch. She, and she went to Juilliard or something? I mean, she made me she's feel awesome. like I'm not really a musician. I'm yeah, we should like, <laughs> the studio like oh my gosh <laughs> we sent her the song and she came over an hour later and just played it and yeah. she's like I, if you want it to be fancier and cooler i can do this and we're like yeah just do what you do we're doing what you're doing yeah <laughs> what was that like adding that element into your music so cool um we always want to the last album we were like we need something new here that we had um the harmonica you know, come Which in. We did again. We did again. We had Al come back and do and do some harmonica parts on the, these ones as well. But um, we're always, I don't know, we're always trying to think of new sounds and new things that we want to happen. It was cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Uh, do you have a name of the album or you can't divulge it yet? 
No, we don't have a name. Not officially. No, we'll we'll have some more, um, you know, singles and and releases and stuff coming out. But we have a good batch of songs. Well, you can always go with the fifth album. (laughs) Well, I think that people would think that we're stupid at that point. Like, I think there's some people who already think that we're lazy and stupid (laughs) because of the fourth album. If we did that, they'd be like, this isn't even funny. I thought of season five. Season five, no. But then I changed my mind. Absolutely not. <laughs> Season five. <laughs> what about have at it? Have at it. No, I don't like that either. We'll come up with something. How about uh, how about brats and cheese? You guys are from Wisconsin. Oh God, no, we like to even... forget that we're from Wisconsin. Yeah, it's, it doesn't do you any favors to no. accentuate that. <laughs> I think it does. I mean, come on. When you're in Wisconsin, you're within five minutes of beer and cheese at all times. It's true. That is true. That doesn't help our music career very <laughs> no, much. So, yeah, that's a uh, sports do really well with beer and cheese, though, around yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you can follow the path of Jared James Nichols. He left Wisconsin. He's now down in Nashville. So. We are following his path. We have a, now we have about a year and a half plan to get down there. So plan is to go to move. I think that's going to be awesome for you guys. I really do. Yeah. yeah a, same. Yeah. I mean, cause it's just, I think with your style of music and that whole scene down there, whether it's country rock metal, I mean, it has everything now and mm-hmm. there's so many great people down there that, want to help and want to be a part of you know what you're doing and you know they're they're not trying to it's a community and it really is everyone i talk to who have who have moved moved from la or wherever just talk about the difference and just the way people want to help you and want to hey i'll come play on your album you want to come play do a do a rhythm on a red track on my album tomorrow and people just do that they just help each other it's great yeah yeah that's awesome we've heard only good things as well so we're looking forward to it. You fall out of bed and you're at a gig, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's great. I think, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the new album, looking forward to the new songs. The fourth album was a great album. Are you going to do the same chronological thing or release, you know, a bunch of singles prior? Is it just is it going to be more limited? What's the plan with that? Uh, it might be a little more limited because now we're not on our own. You know, we were doing that. That was like a whole, like, let's build momentum for ourselves. And I think it worked. Um, and it was insane. Like it was absolutely crazy. We were filming a music video every month, like just five, we did five, five singles and five music videos that were all like, not simple. You know, it's very easy to be like, okay, we're going to go to, you know, a bar or a club and we're going to do a live performance and just like, you know, film that and we'll make a music video. Like, that's not what we did. <laughs> we made like a sad clown thing. And I don't know. Anyway, what was I talking about? Yeah. So this, this will be slower, I would say. Like, I think it'll be less packed in altogether than the fourth album was. Um, I think, but we're still going to do all the things that we do, you know. Well, you guys always like that creative process with the videos. I mean, that's kind of part of the music with, with your, with your yeah. songs. Yeah. We have 14 videos now. I yeah. Think. 15, I think, but we're still going to do videos. They'll just be spread out a little bit more. Yeah. Everything will just be a little more spread out. Cause then, uh, you know, the, the next album doesn't need to come out for a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or at least till next summer at the earliest. So between now and then, we got to promote the singles from it. And we might record um, a live version or an acoustic version of a couple songs and maybe. Just lots of stuff. We'll have we some fun do. releases between now and then for yeah. sure. Because the video for Running Hot was like this horror movie, right? Yeah, yeah, it comes out on Friday. Well, actually, Thursday night. So tomorrow night at 9 p.m. is the premiere. And then Friday is like the official release. Yeah, we did like a horror movie scary thing. Did you watch it already in your uh, PR? 
in your press? Yes. Thing? Yeah. Okay. You like? <laughs> yeah, I did. It's it's kind of like an homage to like the the like eighties horror movies, you know? Yeah, that's what we were I, doing. I enjoyed that. I was waiting for Jason to come out behind a tree, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, and, and, uh, with the hockey mask. So no, it was great. It's it's enjoyable. I mean, I, I, I wish more bands would be a little bit more creative with their with their videos and it's always it's always fun yeah. before, so cool yeah we have a lot of fun doing them so who's the uh who's the creative director between you two with the videos who comes up with the concepts i well for this one i came up with this concept but we've been pretty collaborative um, yeah, yeah sometimes we, he comes up with it we talk about it you know we uh brainstorm for a while and then eventually we tell our videographer or you know the director of our videos we send her our ideas and say, add to this, you know, yeah. expand upon it. And if you have more ideas, let us know. And then we've been, three of us all talk about it for a while. And eventually things get storyboarded and everything mm-hmm. comes together eventually. Yeah. So between the three of us, we put it all together. So what's next? Is it pretty quiet to the rest of the year? Any more shows coming up? For the holidays, yes. Uh, we do have um, a December 8th show in, actually, Stevens Point, Wisconsin. We have a show. Um, so kind of a home show. It's at District 1 Brewing Company, which we've never been there before. But that should be fun. That's kind of all we have for the rest of the year. And it's just holiday stuff and moving into 24. That's crazy. I can't believe we're in 2024. Wow. Isn't Stevens Point? Isn't that where they make Point beer? Yeah, yeah. They've got a like great it? winter beer, pistachio ale. Uh, mm. Yes, I've had it. It yeah, is quite good. good. That's yeah. That is that. It's that's a good. That's that's the goods right there. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you can I mean, come and do it more. If you have like, if you love pistachios, the, the key is to like have a bowl of pistachios with the pistachio beer, and it's pistachio heaven. If you do that, oh. <laughs> I absolutely love that. Yeah. I, I don't know how I got, because I love pistachios. I think I was at, when my son played hockey, we were at a tournament in Stevens Point, and I was at a liquor store getting beer, because that's what parents do on these hockey tournaments. They get drunk at night. And <laughs> I saw this, I forget what the beer is called, but I saw like this weird six pack. I'm like, what is that? And I see pistachio ale. And I didn't even, without even thinking, it was just like a, like an instant reaction. I just picked it up and put it in the car. Yeah. All I yeah. saw was pistachio, and that's all I needed to see. I feel like it's called snowmobile something, or I no? Oh God, yes, yeah, snow something. Um, no patrol. Oh, snowpilot. If you can get it on tap, it's even better too. That's Ooh, good. Yeah. See, see, down here in Chicago, we don't get it up on on tap. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a good beer. Snow. It's going to drive me nuts. It is snow something. I can't think of the other My name. Snowpilot. I think it's no pie. I think it's, yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Good, Good stuff. stuff. In fact, I actually wrote Point Beer a email telling them that this no longer should be a seasonal beer, that it should yeah. be available all 12 months of the year. <laughs> I did that. I did that one night. <laughs> What's next? What's the, uh, I know you got the running hot video coming out and you yeah. just released this, but is, you know, for bourbon house fans with the Facebook page, you got, what can you tell them? What's, what's next after this? Uh, next after this should be some, uh, great tour announcements coming up. Okay. I'll stick around for that. That's awesome. Yeah. I love it. I love seeing the growth with you guys. I love seeing the, the, the steps forward. It, uh, you guys are a great band, great music. And I'm here for all of it. So thank you again. Well, thank you. You're one of our favorites to talk to, too. Thanks. <laughs> appreciate it. We appreciate you. <laughs> all right. Have a great holiday if I don't talk to you guys uh, before then. But um, once again, always appreciate it. So this has been another episode of The Hook Rocks. This is Jay Scott. Thanks again for tuning in. Always appreciate when you do. So take care of each other. Stay safe. Stay healthy. And we will talk again soon. Thanks.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.